You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 95, brought to you by Vessi's Seeds. Hello, folks. We're back. It's episode one of season five. I know we call it 95, but episode one of season five. This is season five. Five seasons that we've been doing the Maritime Gardening Podcast, and I'm so grateful for all of you that have stuck with me, and I'm committed to continuing the podcast, doing interviews, and all of that stuff. Uh, going forward. And this episode, I'm going to talk about rising food prices. There was a report released by uh, in, in, in cooperation between Dalhousie University, that's the university where I live, and Guelph University, that's the uh, University of Guelph, which is in Ontario, Canada. I'm in Canada here, for those of you that are somewhere else in the world. And uh, they were talking about, every year they put in a report where they estimate how food prices will increase in the coming year. So this is a report of estimates for 2020. Okay, we're, we're just, 2020 just began and they're predicting those prices. So that's what we're gonna talk about. And I'm gonna talk about, in, in light of those implications, you know, what can you do about that? How can you deal with the fact that food prices are going up? Um, but first I'm gonna do a little bit of an update on uh, the podcast and the YouTube channel and all the stuff I'm doing so, so you can get a sense of where I'm going with everything. Um, Vessi Seeds is still sponsoring the podcast and they've uh, re-upped for another year. So if you haven't been following along on Facebook or my YouTube channel and you don't know this uh, for 2020, if you use the coupon code GAVS20, uh, I'll have details in the show notes if you're listening on YouTube. Just check out the description, uh, you know, that, that, that thing, that write-up that's below the video for details. But they're going to continue the coupon code that they offer my viewers of free shipping. Uh, and, you know, there's, I'll, I'll explain, the details are explained in the description box, but the, the, the short version is that as long as you buy a pack of seeds with your order, you will get uh, free shipping. Um, unless you're buying something enormous, like a rototiller or something like that, right? There's going to be a, what's it called, a, a, some kind of surcharge for uh, buying a oversized item. But for seeds and, and things like that, and even things like apple trees and potatoes and stuff like that, there's no surcharge on that. So it makes a lot of sense to get a big order and order from them. Uh, in addition to that, I talked to them this year about offering various uh, seed packs, you know, like some people... Uh, if you're a person like me, you like picking every little thing and spending hours and hours and hours, um, you know, uh, agonizing over what to what to buy, where it should go, and all that sort of stuff. And I've done videos on that, on how I make those decisions. And I just did one uh, about a month ago, I guess, on a garden plan, that sort of thing. But if that is overwhelming for you, if that's too much, <laughs> and you want to let the experts make that decision for you. Um, they have created three different seed packs, uh, sort of like a small, medium, and large seed pack. And with those seed packs, you get anywhere from 23 to 25% off on the price of the seeds. And if you buy it using my coupon code, GAVS20, you get free shipping on top of that. So the small seed pack is sort of ideally suited to maybe four beds, even up to six, depending on how much quantity you want, but the four to six beds, I would say, or, or a little bit smaller. Um, the medium size pack, I mean, when you go on their website, I'll put links to all of this uh, in the show notes and description box, the YouTube channel. Um, the medium uh, package is more for um, uh, eight to 10 beds, I would say, for me anyway, the way I grow things. And the large is for 10 to 12 beds or even more, 
because um, you can, you know, usually you've always got seeds left over. So if you want to just grow more of all those things, 10 to 12, maybe even a little bit more, um, that's a general idea. So um, that's the Vessi's deal for 2020. And uh, if you use it, uh, if you like the podcast, if you like my YouTube channel, if you want to help support the channel, don't send your money to me. Buy your stuff from them, and that'll help support my channel because they're a partner with me. They support this. They pay for all the costs that uh, that I bear in, in providing this content for you. They're a great partner. They basically let me do whatever I want, and I just give them a little plug here and there. And it's, it's just a great arrangement. They're a great partner. I grow almost almost everything in my garden is Vessi Seeds, and if you look at my garden tours, uh, for the last three years, they were my sponsor. I've been using their seeds for like 90-something percent. Um, I, I do have some seeds that I save every year, so those are mine. Um, but uh, for, for most of what's happening in my garden, it's all Vessi seeds. So give them your business. If you want to help support my channel, use the coupon code. That'll be great. Um, for the podcast for 2020, I'm going to do one pad podcast a month. So I've been doing for the last... Uh, five for the last four years I've been doing about two a month and I take a little hiatus in December and January and I'm trying to write a book on um, on gardening a sort of uh, beginner's book on the one hand but also a crash course in no-till gardening permaculture but but really boiled down to the, the simplicity and the essence if you if you like my YouTube channel if you like my content you probably find that I tend to boil things down to the, the simplest elements being very pragmatic, being very cost uh, sensitive, trying to keep everything cheap, simple, easy, not too hard. And uh, a lot of the content out there on permaculture, on no-till gardening, the, the proponents, the gurus, they tend to make it sound a lot more complicated than it is. It's not complicated at all. In fact, we're really going back to a way of gardening that, that was pretty commonplace uh, a long time ago. And it still makes sense today for the home gardener anyway. So if you're a home, most of my viewers are home gardeners, so it certainly makes a lot of sense. So that's the angle of the, the book I'm writing. I think the, the title I want to run with is uh, Back to Gardening, which is the name of the first episode of this podcast. And I think it's just a perfect sort of way to spring off into that. Um, so yeah, I'm working on the video. So I, I'm going to cut down the frequency of the podcast, but I'm going to stick with the podcast First Saturday of every month, that's why we're here on the first Saturday of this month, assuming I can make everything happen by then. Um, and uh, I'm going to continue to do the videos uh, and, and all that sort of, all that content as well. So the videos, you know, my, my general rule of videos is I do a video a week, maybe two, maybe three. It really depends on, you know, what's going on in my life, how inspired I am. Uh, if I got some good ideas and, and that sort of stuff, but also just the weather because I like to do my videos outside and if I can only especially this time of year I mean, it's February So it's it's dark in the morning and dark in the evening and I have a full-time job so I can only really uh, record these things uh, on the weekend so if the weekend weather cooperates uh, I can re re record videos and if it doesn't cooperate I can't but even if I have good weather on the weekend uh, really depends on what's going on in my life. I got a wife, I got kids, I got family, <laughs> obligations, other things going on. I've got a house to maintain, all that sort of stuff, right? So um, I, I can't, you know, I have to prioritize these things. So I hope you understand. But the main thing is uh, I'm, I'm not going to cut down. The, the video frequency is going to stay about the same one or two videos a week. The podcast is going to be one a month. It's going to be aired or released or published or whatever term you want to use for that 
the first Saturday of every month. So the topic of today's podcast, and it's just me, I'm going to continue also going to continue to do interviews and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, if I continue to find um, people that I find interesting that I think you might want to listen to. So we're, we're still going to be doing the interviews. This is just the first episode. And I, I read a report very recently that just gave me a great idea for a podcast. So I thought I'd wrap a podcast around that. And I'm going to put a link to the report so you can read the whole thing yourself. Um, but the, uh, the, rep- the name of the report was Canada's Food Prices Report. Uh, it was produced by in cooperation between Dalhousie and Guelph University. I'll put a link to it in the show notes here. Um, and what they predicted was that for 2020, there's going to be an overall increase in food prices between 2 and 4%. Right? It's, a, it's, it's an estimate. It's a prediction. So they can't say it's going to be exactly this. It's going to be somewhere within this margin of error, right? Um, So what does that translate in terms of money? That means that whatever you're paying for groceries in 2019, it's going to be, I think the number they put up was $487 more in the coming year, give or take, right? Because it's two to 4%. So I I can't remember what methodology they used to come up with the number 487, but I'm guessing that's an average somewhere in between, right? So the way they come up with this estimate is they they put all the different food items that people buy into different categories, different buckets. And based on their understanding of where, you know, the market's going and uh, various other factors, economic factors, where that price is going. So they probably have about 10 or 12 categories of things and they have an estimate attached to each of those categories. And two to 4% is just the average of all of that, the combination of all of that. But I'm gonna focus here on just the basic things they include eating out and, and a whole range of, of different items, but I'm going to focus on things you would buy in a grocery store that are key items, key ingredients, key base items that you would use to make things, right? So not prepackaged food, not dining out, not stuff like that. Just, you know, meat, potatoes, <laughs> that sort of stuff, right? The basic stuff. So the estimate was that for fruit, the price will go up from in 2020, increase from 1.5 to 3.5 percent for meat the estimated increase is between four and six percent increase for seafood from two to four percent increase for dairy from one to three percent increase not a problem for me i'm lactose intolerant (laughs) so i just drink water Uh, although i miss all of those wonderful dairy products Um, and for vegetables from two to four percent now of course we're gardeners so that's the thing we can do something about because we grow a lot of our own Um, so the gist of all of that is that prices are going up and the prices are going to go up faster than your wage is going up, right? Whatever, how, whatever, unless you're in some very unique uh, field where wages just tend to increase dramatically every year, uh, the anticipated increase in food prices are going to be greater than the in- anticipated increase in wages. So, food's going to cost more, and you're not going to have more to pay for it. <laughs> That's, that's the short version, which is kind of depressing, but, uh, you know, so how do, but the point is that that's the way, that's what's going to happen. Some, somewhere in there, that's, that's what's, or let's put it another way. That's what's likely to happen, right? So what do we do about that? Um, well, an interesting thing about this report, because it's produced from a university and because they're honest actors and 
they are responsible and uh, forthright in the information they're providing. What they also do in the report is they look back at the estimates they made for the previous year and speak to how accurate they were. So that gives you some sense of how good those projections are going to be. Their projections using their model for estimating prices is going to be for the coming year. So let's talk about their 2019 estimates and their 2019 actuals, right? Estimates and actual. An estimate is what you think it's going to be. And an actual is, is, you know, after that, you know, 2019 happens and you see what actually did happen and you see what, what did the price actually go up by once reality happened, right? So for fruit, they estimated an increase from one to 3% and the actual increase was 2%. So they were bang on. Basically, the actual increase was somewhere between, somewhere within um, that range that they predicted. For meat, they estimated that the price change for meat would be somewhere between negative three and negative one percent. They predicted it would go down to some extent. What really happened? It went up three percent. For uh, seafood, they predicted that it would either go down two percent or stay the same negative two to zero. What actually happened with seafood? It went up 3%. For dairy, they predicted the change would be either anywhere between zero and up 2%. So either stay the same or increase 2%. What actually happened with dairy? It went up 2%. It went up. And for vegetables, they predicted in 20, for 2019, that it would be an increase of anywhere from four to six percent increase, an increase from four to six percent. What actually happened? Price of vegetables overall, this is all the vegetables that are sold, sort of thing, went up 12%, 12 percent, 12 percent in 2019 from the previous year. So if you're a person who likes to eat a lot of vegetables and you buy them, it went up 12%. Inflation did not go up 12% in 2019. Your wages probably most likely did not go up 12%, right? So that's an incredible cost increase. So vegetables up went up, went up 12% last year. And the, let's, let's talk about the key reasons in the report they talk about this, that they list for that increase and why it was so different from what they... Now, remember, they still projected a, a pretty sizable... So they, they predicted that the price of vegetables was going to go up more than just about anything else in 2019, but it went up even more than they projected. And their estimates tend to be conservative. That is to say, they don't um, exaggerate, right? They, they, they look at everything and they, they come up with an estimate. And, you know, perhaps uh, in that, the range of models they use for estimating, there could be a really, really high number. They, they tend to stick with the numbers that are more, um, you know, within a lower band. Let's put it that way, a conservative estimate. Um, the key reasons they listed for the price of vegetables going up uh, 12% as opposed to somewhere between 4 and 6% was um, uh, trade relations with a, cha a change in trade relations with other countries, uh, US, China, and so on and so forth. But also, uh, there was an E. coli uh, event for uh, leafy green vegetables in particular, which, which are a pretty high cost item when you think about it. Um, so, Basically, that drove up the price of a lot of, a lot of produce um, in that year. So that's the reasons they, they give for that. Um, so 
let's let's think about how this is going to impact you and impact your life and what we can do about it and talk about these key issues the price of food is going to go up in in 2020 the price of food is going to go up and you've seen from their projections from the previous year it's either going to go up what they projected possibly you know possibly less but maybe more, right? Um, I can look if you look at the 2019 estimates versus actuals. Everything, with the exception of fruit, went up more than they anticipated. Right? Um, so the price of your food is going to go up, and it's going to go up faster than your wages go up. So the price of vegetables went up 12 percent in 2019. They're predicting another two to four percent for 2020. Right? Not a correction back. It's just going to stay went up and it's going to go up more. Right? So consider your wage increase over that previous year. And the, these things are cumulative. Right? So vegetables are becoming more e expensive. And, uh, you know, regardless of the reasons for all of that, I think it's very possible one thing, uh, you know, and I haven't looked into it in detail and I've not talked to the scientists that produced this, but it's very possible they're, they are not taking into account, maybe they are, I don't know, um, the actual energy cost in producing food, right? Any sort of uh, food stuff that you buy at a store, there's an energy cost that's included in the price that you pay, right? Someone basically, some sort of fuel or electricity or what have oil or what have you, right, was used in producing that product, shipping that product, storing that product, marketing that product, warehousing that product, all that sort of stuff, right? Right up until the point where you bought it. And there's wastage as well, right? Because for every, uh, you know, uh, pound of food that's produced, some proportion of that food gets thrown away because people don't buy it or it goes, it spoils in shippage or whatever. Um, I would, I would, implore you to look at a study that was produced in 2000 by the University of Michigan. I'll put a link to it in the show notes and the description box. In that study, the key number that's just stuck in my head and it like burned itself into my brain was that, and this is for the United States, but I don't imagine Canada is that much different or any other country in terms of food production. Um, for every one unit of food energy that's produced, so you, you grow a uh, a farmer grows a potato. That potato has X calories associated with it. Let's say 80 calories, right? Let's make it simple and say 100 calories. I think it's more like 80, but let's say 100. Um, so a farmer or a farm or that sort of thing produces a, a unit of food that's X calories. To produce those calories, they, on average, this is what the study showed, Seven units of energy are used for every one unit of energy produced. So to make a 1,000 calorie potato, you have to use, sorry, not 1,000, to use a, to make a 100 calorie potato, you have to use 700 calories of energy, right? And what are we talking about when we're talking about energy, right? We're talking about oil, fossil fuels, all that sort of stuff, the things that the farmer has to, the farmer has to pay for that. The farmer has to pay for oil to run all the machinery in the farm. There is oil used in producing many of the inputs that go into the farm, the pesticides, herbicides, da 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 da, da right? There is oil used in harvesting. There's oil used in 
um, processing, there's oil used in, or oil or energy used in storing, transporting, right? When it gets to the grocery store, the grocery store is using energy to keep it, keep the lights on, keep the refrigerators going, keep the freezers going, keep the little thing that mists the lettuce, <laughs> all that sort of stuff, right? There's energy used in the, you know, when you buy the kale salad, energy is used in making a little bag that comes in and a little plastic thing that the kale salad sauce comes in, right? There's an, ener there's, a, there's an ecological footprint in all of that stuff and there's a cost associated with all of those things, right? And for this report, it's a 7 to 1 ratio. So, as these things become more expensive over time, as more and more people are using the energy resources of the world, the price of the food is going to go up because the price of the energy is going to go up. And I don't see any of this changing anytime soon until we fundamentally change the model that we use to produce uh, food and the, the way we as consumers cons uh, procure our food, right? Nothing's going to change until we make some fundamental change. And I'm not going to make the episode about that because I don't want to get a thousand comments in the thing. Um, but here's the point. If, if eating produce is important to you in your life for your health, for whatever reason, um, you need to find a way to save money doing that, right? You need to, and you need to figure it out right now because the price of the food is going up faster, faster than your ability to make money, right? And there's only so many second and third jobs you can take to, to solve that problem. There's only so much debt you can take on to solve that problem. So how to economize, you know, if, if you like eating, I'm going to focus here on vegetables because that's the thing we can solve. I don't uh, have any sort of livestock in my backyard. I don't have chickens. I don't have cows. I don't have goats. I don't have any anything like that. I, those are all things I'd love to delve into, but where I live and the, the way my life works, it just doesn't work for me right now. Um, it is a long-term plan of mine, but I have to move and be somewhere where I can make all that happen. So let's just talk about vegetables because... A good portion of my, I'm not a vegetarian, but a good portion of my diet is vegetables. I grow a lot of food, I have a 2,500 square foot garden, I grow a lot of vegetables, it's very important to our diet. Uh, in any given meal, let's say 60-70% of that meal is vegetable, and maybe a little bit of meat on the side sort of thing, right? Um, plant-based diet for the most part and and every year I, I'm trying to move the family more in that direction plant-based diet <clears throat> so we like to eat vegetables we want to eat as much as we can and the price of vegetables went up a ridiculous amount in 2019 and it's going to continue to go up in 2020 how do we deal with this right well number one grow your own <laughs> grow your own grow as much of your own as you can if you have access to land, either you're, you, you have a piece of property, you have a home and you have a lawn and all sort of stuff, or you have access to land in some way, a community garden or just some neighbor says, hey, um, if you want to put a garden on, on my land, that's great, you know, and we'll share the food. That, that kind of thing can happen if you're, if you're uh, you know, charismatic and you can sweet talk into someone letting you do that. I, I would highly recommend that. Um, so number one, if you have property, get that property working for you. Yes. I live in a neighborhood where everybody has a lawn. And as far as I know, I'm the only person that has a garden. Or if someone does have a garden, it's teeny, teeny, tiny, four by eight plot, something like that, right? Um, 
But these people are gardening. They're just growing grass, right? And not the, uh, you know, 420 <laughs> grass. That some people are, I suppose, but I'm talking about grass, right? The green stuff that grows on the lawn, right? So everybody in my neighborhood is a gardener. They're growing lawns. And uh, if they want to save money, they should be turning their lawn into food, right? Uh, and with a no-till permaculture approach, it's a lot easier than you might think. So turn your lawn into food, increase the size of your garden to as large as you can manage. And you'll probably find that every year you increase it a little bit more because if, especially if you're using a no-till sort of permaculture approach, you find that it's not as difficult to grow more than you may have thought. Certainly myself, my garden continues to get bigger every year. And that's despite having a full-time job and a commute and all the other sort of modern adult uh, uh, obligations that many of you have. Turn your lawn into food. Also, in that garden, grow things that your family is going to eat, right? The whole point of growing it is to eat it. So grow things that everybody likes. Find ways to cook those things. If you find something that's really easy to grow but nobody likes it, that's, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But maybe you can find a way to cook that thing so that everybody likes it. Find clever ways to incorporate that food into your diet. Um, I grow a lot of potatoes and I grow a lot of squash. My son's not a huge fan of squash, but I found that he's a big fan of potatoes and you can put some squash into the mashed potatoes. He likes that. Uh, I can also make, uh, you know, I can add squash to uh, soups. He doesn't even know it's there. You can add squash to a pasta sauce. He doesn't know it's there. You can add squash to uh, all kinds of different things, smuggle it in, and you're just adding caloric value to your food. Your kids won't know it's there if you're clever about it. So there's lots of ways to smuggle in this thing and that thing sort of thing, right? So grow things your family will eat. Also, grow things that are easy to grow, that aren't an incredible, uh, incredibly time-consuming for you to make happen, right? A lot of, if you watch my garden tours and that sort of stuff, a lot of the things I'm growing are root vegetables that take the entire season to grow and I don't do anything with them. Some of them I have to thin, like carrots and parsnips and some stuff like that, but potatoes and stuff like that, you just stick them in the ground and, and let it all take care of it. Stick them in the ground in May-ish and uh, some around September you pull them out of the ground, put them in a, you know, dry them off, put them in a cardboard box, get them in a cold room and they're just there waiting for you when you want them. Uh, last year I did a video called uh, The State of the Storage Veg, which is a play on words, a State of Union address, but um, I'm gonna do another one this year just to show you, I think I did it sometime in February, how much of my garden food I still have left that we're still eating, right? Even though my, my garden, right now my garden's frozen solid, but uh, there's still things I'm eating out of my garden all the time. So grow things that are easy to grow and grow as many things, grow as many things as you can that are easy to grow and grow as many as, uh, things as you can that are easy to store. Okay, the easiest things to store are like you pick it and you put it on a shelf and then you can eat it two or three or four months later, like squash, right? Squash is very, if you've got good soil, that's very important. Uh, squash is a great thing to grow because it's very easy to store. You literally just pick it at the right time of year. You stick it somewhere where it's not too cold, not too hot. And, uh, you know, on a shelf somewhere. And I put them in my <laughs> shelf in my garage sort of thing. And, uh, and then when you want to eat the squash, you take it off the shelf and eat it. <laughs> it's very easy. It's, it's it basically its own storage unit, right? That makes a lot more sense to me than boiling water and canning and jars and all that sort of stuff. Not to say that you can't do that as well, but... 
Make it as easy as you can on yourself relative to what people in your family like to eat. Um, grow things that are easy to store. Also, you know, some things uh, can go in a cold room, like uh, parsnips, carrots, potatoes, squash, things like the onions. Those, those things are very easy to store. So grow as much of that as you can because you're going to use it up anyway. You're going to buy that stuff. You're going you're gonna to need that stuff if, if you've incorporated that stuff into your diet. Uh, also, a lot of things are very easy to freeze. I tend to use my freezer more than canning. So for things like beans, a lot of people can their beans. You know, they boil them and put them in jars and vacuum seal the jars and run their oven and all that sort of stuff. Um, but for me, for beans, I just blanch them and basically immerse them in boiling water for a couple minutes. And then you spread them out on a cookie sheet and then you freeze them and put them in bags and they're in your freezer and they're, they're there when you need them. And I, I oft, often find that the beans I've grown that I've frozen taste better than the fresh beans in the grocery store. Um, also, uh, preserving things, right? As much as you can. So uh, I do a lot of fat lacto fermentation. You can do canning, you can make jams, and that, that, all that sort of stuff, preserving, right? But preserving takes more time and energy than just sticking something in a box and keeping it you know, below eight degrees Celsius, right? So it's that combination, finding the combination that works for you in terms of how much energy is put into growing it, how much work is involved in storing it, and that combination of everybody likes it and everybody will eat it. Uh, kale is another great one. You know, you grow more greens than you could possibly eat during the growing season, but greens that will freeze. So. I grow lettuce and some things, salad greens and stuff like that in the summer and spring that in fall, that's nice. But um, there's a lot of greens, kale, Swiss chard, collard greens. You can basically blanch that and compress it down to a little cake, stick it in your freezer. And then you've got those greens for the winter. So you grow more greens that you could possibly eat during the gardening season, freeze them as they're as they're growing during that season and you've got them for later. Same with things like green beans, yellow beans, stuff like that, snap beans. Uh, you can freeze them. Peas, you can freeze them. It's just easy. Um, so grow things that are easy to store. Now, outside of growing stuff in our garden, buy in season. I mean, sure, buy local, buy from the farmer's market, buy from the guy down the street, buy from that you know, family farmers and do, do all of that that you can. But I recognize that some people cannot afford to buy high-end boutique produce. But if you go to your grocery store, if you've got a half-decent grocery store where you live, um, there's going to be certain things that are available for sale this time of year, January, February, March, right? That aren't necessarily the sexy uh, high-end boutique grocery items that uh, they're, they're whipping up meals in on the talk shows and daytime talk shows, right? So microgreens and all that sort of stuff, right? Focus more on things that can be grown where you live, that store well, that are low in price. So where I live in Nova Scotia, that's stuff like cabbage, turnip, potatoes, carrots, right? Not the sexiest things in the world, but if you go to the grocery store, you'll find that those things cost way less than everything else. And they're all good for you. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm sure there are superfoods that are marginally better than other things, but I mean, potato has potassium like a banana. You don't have to get your potassium from the other side of the planet in some, uh, you know, uh, tropical forest. You can get your potassium from a good old fashioned potato. That's fine, right? So all of those basic foods 
Uh, there's lots of ways to, and squash, right? Squash is another one. These are all things that grow in a northern hemisphere and they grow fine and they store really, really well. So when you're buying those things, they're probably not imported. There probably wasn't as huge of a gasoline requirement, an oil requirement to get them from where they grew to the store where you buy them. So they're going to be cheaper. Also, when those things go on sale, because many of those things store well, you can buy a lot of them. You can buy them in bulk. So a good example is uh, something like an onion. Uh, if you cook a lot of food, you probably find that step one for cooking any good meal is cutting up an onion and frying it or doing something with an onion, right? Um, so you need a lot of onions. I grew a good amount of onions last year, but it wasn't enough. I ran out of my own onions around uh, the end of December. And so I had to buy onions. Now you can go to the grocery store and buy a little bag, five, 10 pound bag, but there's a grocery store near me where <laughs> you can buy like a 40 pound bag of onions and onions keep really, really well. So if you've got some sort of uh, garage or a place that's not, not too cold, not too hot sort of thing, buy a huge bag of onions and just put them on the floor or put them in a cardboard box, that sort of thing, and move them up to your, uh, you know, the bottom thing in your, your fridge when you need them. You can buy a huge amount of onions for a very low price and you can store them, right? And you can save money on that sort of thing. And the same can be said for things like squash, things like potatoes, things like cabbage, things like turnips, right? These are all things that really store well. And for things like even a, a cabbage, there's things you can do to extend the life of the cabbage on top of that. You can make sauerkraut with the cabbage. Uh, I've, I've done videos on that. And you don't have to just use uh, sauerkraut on a, you know, a Polish sausage or whatever, you know, there's lots of different ways you can use sauerkraut. You can incorporate it in many different kinds of meals, right? Any kind of meal where you can smuggle in some vegetables. Uh, I'm not beyond, my, I can't get my son or my daughter to put sauerkraut on a, on a sausage or a hot dog. But if I put a cup of sauerkraut and cut it up and throw it in a soup, they don't even know it's there. <laughs> For that matter, you can stick it in pasta sauce. There's lots of different ways you can smuggle it into different things. They won't know it's there. Right, so you can you see there's some sort of sale on cabbage. You buy a whole bunch, you make it into sauerkraut, and that extends the storage uh, life of the cabbage because cabbage as sauerkraut keeps for a long time. That's why people did that in the old days, and that's why salt was so important in trade. So uh, yeah, buy things that are easy to store. Also, buy in season. You know, buy things that are being grown near where you are. And eat a lot of that when it's in season, right? Don't buy strawberries in January. Those are strawberries from the other side of the world. Probably not going to taste that good. It's probably a variety that was grown because it's nice and red and it looks like a fresh strawberry, but it probably doesn't taste that good, right? So just, just take a break from those things. Buy the things that are relatively local, that were grown close to where you are, and, uh, and you'll save a lot of money that way. Explore those basic produce items right? The potatoes and the cabbage and the turnip and, you know, all those sorts of things that uh, aren't, aren't very, you know, you would think they're not very impressive, but there's some delicious things. Beets is another one. You can buy these huge bags of beets for a relatively low price. And if, if you don't know how to make borscht, if you don't know about the, the, the dish called borscht, it's like a soup with shredded up beets and cabbage and stuff like that. And any, basically any cheap meat you can throw in there, or you can even make it without the meat. It is an absolutely delicious soup. I've never had someone come to my house, try borscht and say, oh, oh, that tastes gar like garbage. 
Everybody that tries borscht likes it. It is a delicious meal and is basically a simple old world peasant food that you can throw almost anything into and it just, it tastes so good. I mean, it, it's basically like the, the flavor of it because the beets have sugar in them, so they taste really good. And beets are relatively inexpensive, if you, especially if you buy them in a large amount. And beets are another one where you can buy a huge bag of it and just, just like you'd grow them in your garden, you, 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 you put those beets in a cardboard box, put them in cold, cold storage, and they'll keep for a couple months anyway. So you can buy more than you can possibly eat in a given week and, and just store them and use them as you need them. But, you know, increase your familiarity with those basic produce ingredients, the carrots, potatoes, squash, beets, things like that. Stay away from imported goods because basically you're paying for oil. You're paying for energy. That's seven to one ratio, right? When you buy microgreens in February, uh, you're, you're buying oil. <laughs> and a little bit of what you pay, the value of the money that you paid for that thing was actually the food you're eating. Most of what you're paying for is an energy cost right? Because these things are very expensive to get from the place they grew to the place you buy them to you without them going back because they don't keep well. So avoid those things and just enjoy them in the summer. And you can have them once in a while, sure. I'm not saying don't buy those things. I'm just saying reduce the, the amount of, uh, of your grocery bill that those things take up. Just take a break from those things. Maybe they're just for special occasions you have company or something like that and gorge on them in the, in the summer and in the fall when they're coming out of the ground, right? Because when you grow your own food, when you have a garden, where is the energy coming from? I mean, you're using a little bit of your own muscle to, to get the garden going, but I don't know what percent, let's say 80, 90% of the energy that's making your garden happen, is coming from the sun. It's coming from the sky, right? It's free, right? Your garden is solar. <laughs> the whole damn thing is solar. So, and it's free, and you don't have to buy anything to make it happen other than some seeds and have some space. So it's free energy, free energy being stored up by your food, going into your body. That's a good deal. That's what you want to be doing. So that's the basic advice I'm giving, and I'm really not telling you anything that someone who's 90 years old right now wouldn't agree with. This is all stuff our grandparents did, right? This stuff made sense 100 years ago. And it makes perfect sense now. And as prices go up and your wages don't keep up with the prices, that's the way you're going to have to think if you want to save money. One more point. <laughs> if you have a problem with paying taxes, I mean, taxes are a part of life and they pay for services and stuff like that. But if you have a problem with taxes, uh, why are you buying all this stuff? <laughs> Grow your own. You got to pay a little bit of tax on the seeds, I suppose. But I grow kale in my garden. Uh, and I harvest it from the garden, that transaction is tax-free, <laughs> right? So by growing as much of your own food as possible, you're going to lower your taxes because you're not going to pay a tax on the purchase. And then some things are taxed and some things aren't, but basically the more of those things you buy, the less taxes you're going to pay. On top of all of that, in your grocery store, at least where I live, um, certain grocery items are taxed and certain items aren't. And basically, as far as I understand it, as I recall, a lot of the non-packaged things, the basic things I'm talking about, vegetables, they're not taxed the same way um, a little, uh, you know, pack of, you know, a pack of crackers or whatever. Those things are taxed completely. Um, so if you, if you want to avoid taxes, which is another cost, grow your own food because uh, it doesn't, you're not taxed to have, there's no tax on me going into my backyard to get a potato out of the backyard. That's a tax-free transaction. So you're going to reduce your taxes because instead of buying your food, you're getting it from 
your backyard by virtue of the sun making it all happen. You're going to save money there too. So this made sense to our grandparents. It made sense 100 years ago. It makes perfect sense now. And that is my recommendation for how to deal with rising food prices. I hope you found this interesting. If you did, please like, share, subscribe. If you want to help support the channel, go to Vessi Seeds. Check out what, they have to, what they're selling. If they have sell something that you like, buy it from them. Use the, uh, the, um, the coupon code. That'll help support the channel. Uh, you'll notice that uh, uh, one of my sponsors, uh, uh, what's it called, Safers, is no longer a uh, 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 sponsor. Well, that's no big deal because most of the things they sell, you can if you if you were using those products, you can buy them from Vessies. You can use my shipping code. You can get free shipping on those things anyway. <laughs> so just buy them from Vessies, and that'll work out. If you're in the United States and uh, you want to buy from Vessies, you can. You go to their website. You'll find uh, at the very top of the website there'll be a flag, like a Canada U.S. flag. Just click the U.S. flag, and that'll that'll bring up the interface that uh, people in the United States can use buy stuff from them. I'm, I'm sorry for people that listen uh, elsewhere. Uh, Vessi's only sells in Canada, United States. That's just the way it works. So I hope you found it interesting. If you did, please like, share, subscribe. Check out my podcast. Check out my YouTube channel. Um, I got about, I don't know, 300 YouTube videos and this is episode 95. So if you haven't watched all my podcasts, you can go to the podcast uh, website maritimeguardian.com and if you look sort of down the bottom right hand corner you'll notice that I've got all the previous episodes are there for download you can stick it on a thumb drive you can listen to it on your way to work um, and hopefully that's uh, useful content for you so uh, thank you so much for listening thanks for staying with me let's have a great uh, 2020 gardening season and until next time get out there get at it have fun in your garden thanks for watching <laughs>